I'd rather hold it. I think I can read better if I hold it. So this is uh, when Cornelius calls, calls for Peter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, replied Peter. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure what God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. 
So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Two years ago, I traveled 11,000 miles to wash the feet of people in India that would be over here might be considered First Nations, or we might call them Native Indians, because they're from India. We just thought our Native Americans were from India. They repeat, there are people that have been pushed aside, that have been forgotten and considered not a part of society. Now, why would I travel 11,000 miles to wash the feet of those uh, First Nation Indians? In fact, why would... The people that I went with want to take me 11,000 miles 
to wash the feet of those First Nation Indians. Have you ever had the opportunity to settle yourself down on the ground and take the sandals off or just plain take the bare feet of people who have lived their lives in their bare feet, in their hands, and look into their eyes? Because somehow this old white guy from California sitting at their feet, washing their feet, had way more impact on them than it ever had on me. The importance of what was going on was um, truly making them human in their own eyes because they have been treated like animals for their whole life. Because you see, only, only the upper castes have their feet washed. And so it was a, it's a symbol not only of the Lord serving his disciples, but it has become a symbol in India of humanity, of rank, of standing. It's pretty amazing that next to me was my son, my 17-year-old son, washing the feet of the people next, you know, across from him and taking that opportunity. But also, there was also something going on in us, something like the Lord taking his robe off and washing the feet of those people, of the, of the disciples 11,000 miles and some thousands of dollars, right? That it takes to fly and be there and be part of something that is, India is immense if you have not been there. China is big in many, many ways. India is immense and the numbers of peoples that they have in the square footage that they have. God does things that seem strange to us. Our culture doesn't respond real well to washing feet. We would feel like our personal space was being violated if somebody knelt down and started taking our shoes off with a bowl of water next to them. Occasionally that we do that on Maundy Thursday. Occasionally we do that in a, in a season of forgiveness and reconciliation. But it's really a symbol that comes uh, in other ways. But God does things that seem strange to us. In all those countries that you named, that you've been in, they live their life differently than we do. And in fact, God is at work differently there than he is here. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying God's different there than he is here. He's at work in different ways because we have created ways of living that God is totally capable of working in, not only today, but, you know, 3,500 years ago, a story came from Persia as those people immigrated into India 
And the story is uh, like, um, like a, um, a nursery rhyme, they celebrate every year the story of the Bali Raja. The story of the Bali Raja is one of a king who forfeits his life so his people can live. Quite an amazing story. In fact, they celebrate one day a year and most of the people in India celebrate because that gives them life. That somebody, there actually is somebody alive that would forfeit their life for their people. The very highest of castes don't see it that way. And in fact, make a doll, hide the doll, and when dad comes home from work, mom says, the Bali Raja is near. You must find him. She hands him a broom. He looks for it in the house and smashes it to bits because it totally undermines uh, the inequitable um, caste system in India where the top castes have privilege of everything and the caste below them are considered nothing. They're only to serve their whims. It's quite a different place. But here's what God is doing in India. While I was there, I happened to be there with um, the former president of the, the Covenant Church who works a lot in his retirement in India. And they're talking about writing the Bible but changing the name of Jesus to Bali Raja. And I'm going, I know I'm in a different place, but Paul, can you really do that? Can you really take the Bible and change the name of Jesus to Bali Raja? He goes, all the work that I've done with all the best missiologists in the world say you can do that because it is the story of God embodied in the culture that came 3,500 years ago at the same time the rise of the Messiah, the concept of the Messiah arose at the same time. He's saying, we think you can do it. I'm going, you think? Are you sure? Here's the, the old white guy sitting there making a decision for another whole subcontinent saying, we, can we really do this? God works in strange ways. But in fact, the story of God embedded in their culture for that many years has, has made a way for people to understand who a king is that would be willing to forfeit his life so that others could live. The Bibles are being published. And I sit here and go, wow, is that really amazing? And it really is amazing. Can you really do that? And they say, hey, in the West, they call him Jesus. But here we call him Bali Raja. This is the king who forfeit his life. But the same kind of thing is happening. And I like this story in Acts 10 so much. You know, if I was having more sons, I could name him Cornelius. Would we really do that? I hope some of you do that. 
Some of you over there. <laughs> but amazing thing, the, the, the same kind of thing, the same kind of radical change is happening uh, in Acts chapter 10 that I, can des- that I describe in India and that you can describe in the countries that you've been in that God works in ways that are different than ours. They seem strange. But it's also possible that God has been working for so long in those places that we don't recognize that in their culture because it's not ours. It's not our culture. You realize that, that in the story, uh, Cornelius, did you look in the first few verses of what Kathy was reading and what characterized him? Here's a man of charity, a man of rank and standing in the Roman, in the Roman army, but a man of charity that has uh, been recognized as um, that it's being recognized that uh, his charity is seen in the, in the community, but God has seen it and recognized it. You realize that he is known for his prayers and that it was in his prayers that God came and spoke to him. You realize that Peter, a good Jew, is staying with a tanner. A tanner is unclean, having to do with any dead parts of any animal. He's considered unclean. And he's already become friends outside of the Jewish faith in his faith in Christ. God is at work in him so that what, is, what God calls uh, clean is clean. If God calls it acceptable, who are we to say it's not? And that is kind of the storyline of uh, Cornelius hearing from God and sending for Peter and Peter hearing from God with the, with the sheet descended with all kinds of animals. And God says, kill and eat. And he doesn't. He won't. But in the end, God says, if I've called that clean, if I've called that acceptable, who are you to say that it's not? It's quite fascinating that the whole of the idea of following God and in this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the whole of everything in Judaism is being changed. Peter accepts the offer to go to Cornelius' house. He even says when he comes to the door, um, no, don't worship me. But you realize As a Jew, we aren't even allowed to go in your house. But God has told me that it's not my call on what's clean and what's unclean. You can imagine in the cultures that you've been to, whether you were born there or whether you visited there, that God is at work in ways that you might not imagine. That God is at work in ways that is going to show up years later. So what is it like 
to go find out what, what God's doing in our place, but also in the place that, uh, that God sends us, whether it's for a week, it could be for our lives that he sent us there. We hope not to get in the way of others doing ministry in the places that we go. You know, you recall um, the book Peace Child or the, or the book Eternity in Their Hearts. Um, it's a story of a missionary in the early 50s that, that uh, was in uh, New Guinea and really discovered the concept of a peace child among warring tribes. Whose, the, the treachery of killing people uh, was honored. They made the skulls of those they murdered their pillows. And amidst the treachery, he discovered a thread of the only way for two to get along is for a, a, a newborn child to be passed to the other tribe. Buried somewhere in their history of treachery and murder is the story of God. How can that be? We can't even imagine what that's like to give a child to another to raise, but for the peace, it was there. Somewhere, the thread of eternity exists in all the cultures of men and women and of children. And somehow that thread can be drawn through. The radical change that was happening in Acts chapter 10 is also happening today. I sat with a man in India who is considered... um, uh, an academic, his name is Dr. Siddiqui. He was a teacher. He was also a medical doctor. But he was choosing to teach children. He taught them six things. He taught them Hindi, which is the language of India. He taught them Farsi, which is the language of Persia, Iran, and Iraq. He taught them English. He taught them Koran, and he taught them Bible, and he taught them mathematics. In that process, he taught them that in the Koran, he discovered Jesus. And he went to the, to the Christian scriptures to learn more. He considers himself a Muslim Christ follower. Now I ran into other people Uh, in India who were divided and separated because they were Christ followers. They were like First Nations people. They were nothing. They were below the caste system. But here I found a man that sat at the feet of Christian teachers, was unashamed of being a Muslim that was following Christ because in that culture... It's not anathema. It's not the end of the world. It's not, you're a Muslim and you follow Jesus. It's completely possible. The thread of God, the thread of eternity that exists in cultures that 
we get the heebie-jeebies about it. A friend of mine was teaching a, um, a seminar on Islamophobia. Are there challenges? There certainly are. I'm not saying there's not challenges. But there are devout people that are seeking peace. There are devout people, Muslims, who are teaching that following Jesus is the only way to life. Now, they're not saying they're not Muslim. They were born that way. It's like telling me I'm not Swedish. It's an ethnicity as well as a religion. I would say the same of, of many who work in Buddhist countries that have, that have taken Buddhist practices and focused them on Christ and the thread of God and the thread of Jesus is present in those, uh, in those other religions as well. Does, it, does that mean that I'm taking away? I'm not saying, don't hear me, I'm saying, not saying that Jesus is not the way to God. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God has gone before and threaded his life into all the cultures that we have created. God and his creativity gave us the chance to create things. Some don't look that good. But God has done this. And God is still being faithful in those places that don't look like we, we can be friends. I see this in Acts chapter 10. I see the strangeness that is happening as cultures are shifting and they're banging into each other and it feels like an earthquake. That's exactly what was shaking when the Holy Spirit was at work throughout the book of Acts, and throughout the revelation of Jesus Christ. Their whole of their cultures was shaking. It looks like it looks today. God uses the languages and the cultures of people to make himself known. Some of those countries that you've been to for the purpose of mission and ministry have the same things. They're strange things that we run into, that we're unaccustomed to. I'm sure especially many of you that were born in other nations could tell us more than our, than our week or two visits would tell us. But just like God is at work here in the U.S., he's at work in the U.K., which is a completely different world than we live in. We think that it's becoming godless in the United States. They're 40, 50 years ahead of us in their godlessness. And God is at work in the U.K. He's at work in the U.N. He's at work in Uganda. He's at work in all these places that seem unfamiliar to us. But the ways that he uses aren't always familiar. God, I'm not, God is still the same. 
He's not changing. We are. We have changed over time. And we continue to change. But God hasn't changed. But he threaded those things in our lives and in our cultures long before we changed. And those threads lived. How long before Cornelius did God thread those things? His intention of, of loving everybody. His intention of reconciling all things to himself. That was his intention from the very beginning. How many years passed before Jesus came and changed the Jewish culture for those that believed in Jesus? A lot. Can you count? How many years could that be? Would we afford others to have that same amount of time that God would work among them? I think we would. God is at work in places like the internet where Barbara talks to people in, in countries that she's never been to about the person of Jesus. Cornelius, the story of Cornelius and Peter is a fascinating story. And I'm afraid that we don't get how much shaking was really going on to the point that they would kill each other. That's the extent that it was shaking then. And I suspect that that's the case that, that is going on now, that the strangeness we can't stand. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it's not. It's worth some discovery. For a, way, for a way to do it. God is just yet peeling back the layers of what would be an onion that would be his world. He's just now peeling and peeling and peeling. And we're part of that. I have to ask, is this, was this disturbing to anybody? the things that I said today. I didn't mean this to be disturbing. It, it just so elated me that God was at work this way in the New Testament and the ways that, that I see God at work today that in unfamiliar ways. I didn't intend for it to be disturbing for anybody, um, but I realized that it can be. But God is the same. That's what I want you to hear if that is disturbing to you. Uh, what I've said. Um, and he's still effective in that. Taking a man outside of the Jewish culture, making him a man of prayer and of charity who is not allowed to be part of the religion but recognized as one as devout and welcoming him into the kingdom of God. And welcoming his household with all the same gifts that God is pouring out on those fresh followers of Jesus. He's still at work in our culture, in the strange things that we run into 
in Silicon Valley as well as every other valley that God loves. Let me pray. Father, sometimes you shake me up. And I don't know what to do but to turn to someone that I trust and say, can you do that? Is that really something you can do? And when I ask you that question and you begin to show me the strains, the strands and the threads and the yarns of your handiwork, I see how big you are. You're not limited to Tim's world or Foothills or Silicon Valley's world because you are big. So I'm grateful for that, for all the ways in which you are um, at work and moving and reconciling all things in God, to God in Christ. I'm grateful for somebody that is so beyond me and my comprehension. The mystery of you becomes a delight. So Lord, I pray for our conversation among each other of recognition of you being uh, at work uh, in ways that we can thrill to even though they don't look like us. Please be at work, Lord, in this world that you love. Please allow us to be at work in ways that might be uncomfortable to us as well, right here on Oak and Truman. Thank you for Oak School. Thank you for Mountain View School. Mountain View High. Lord, thank you for um, those that you've placed us in the midst of. That, that there would be a beacon of light right here on this hill. And that they would be us. That they would be Grace Community Covenant and Foothill Covenant that they would be river of life, that they would be our neighbors meeting you. Thanks for this hour that we celebrate you in vast and different ways. In Christ's name I pray.